Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from my book, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, while preparing for my Sunday role-playing game. In this case, I am running Scarlet Citadel by Kobold Press for my group. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get access to a dedicated Discord server, a bunch of dedicated products on the Patreon itself, the monthly Q&A, City of Arches sourcebook, Uncovered Seekers Volume 1 and 2 and a whole bunch of other stuff. So you get a whole big pile of stuff for becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. But most of all, you help me put on shows like this. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. We are actually, I don't know if we're, we're over, if you, if you imagine an amusement park ride, you would, are we over the tipping point where we're starting to do that roar downhill? And we might be. I think we're getting closer to the end of this adventure than it might seem. We still have... So they're on level four, which is the bat cave area, but they really only have a little bit left to do in the bat caves part. And then they're going to go down to the river, to the black river. And that's kind of a big section. And that's mainly to hunt bosses. And then they're going to go face Gellert the Gruesome in the, the final battle. And maybe it's me. Maybe I'm kind of ready to be on that downward spike, which means I might start throwing things away with wild abandon. But I don't think that there's a ton of, of stuff left. So in the last game, on level four, they level four of Scarlet Citadel is a is a two-part. Let's 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 pull it up here. So level four is kind of a two two-part area. And I definitely ran it and would recommend running it in the very traditional fistful of dollars, few dollars more style, where the characters come in, there's two opposing groups, the two groups are in a stalemate against one another, and each group wants to use the characters to kind of break the other group, and the group and the characters kind of are able to manipulate both groups if they want to. They can, they can deal with the situation however they want, which is why that scenario works really well. If you have two opposing groups that are both willing to exploit the characters to try to defeat the other group, and the characters know that each group is trying to exploit them, there's a lot of opportunity for the characters to get involved in different ways and you don't know where it's gonna you don't know where it's gonna go it can really it can really work out well so it's a fantastic scenario for a role-playing game because it has this open-ended nature when you're trying to take storylines from books or movies or anything like that the uh, the storylines that lead towards that open-ended nature where you don't necessarily w know where it's going to end up work really well the ones where they have to follow a particular path in order for the scenario to work is really not a great scenario. But the ones where up front, it lays out this scenario, it sets up this situation, and then you drop in the characters and the characters navigate the situation and you don't know where it's going to head. Those storylines work the best. If you look at the, the Lazy DM's Companion, I have a whole bunch of different scenarios like this in the Lazy DM's Companion based on movies and, and, and popular fiction. And it's not all of them. Like not all movies work really well. The movies that require the characters to do a certain thing in order for the movie to propel itself forward are not good ones. But the ones where characters are dropped into a situation where they have to do a thing and they have different paths that they can take, those work really well. Raiders of the Lost Ark works really well because it's a situation. The situation is set up in the beginning. The Nazis are going after the Ark. We don't know. They don't know exactly where it is. We thought maybe you could get to it first. And then, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could do that. And it's not required that Tote grabs the medallion and burns his hand. That's sort of a key that the characters picked up or that the villains picked up later, right? It could go a bunch of different ways. There's a bunch of different movies that work really well. Scenarios, a, a mystery to me is an example of a scenario that doesn't work particularly well. 
if you try to set up and say, oh, I want to do a movie ba- or I want to do a game based on Murder on the Orient Express, what if the characters figure out in scene one that everyone's responsible? What if they figure out who the murderer is right away? What happens in that scenario? You are dependent upon the fact that the characters can't learn who the murderer is until the very end. But in many times when we're watching these movies, the, 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 the hero already knows who it is and they're leading us along. So mysteries tend not to work particularly well. Plot-driven movies where they're all leading towards this one end are not really great because if you were to run them that way, they'd end up being more like a being more like a, a railroad. So scenario-based movies where like a, a situation is dropped in and you don't know what direction they're going to take, that one that one works really well. And in the Bat Caves, that works really well as well. The the book is kind of saying like, well, you could go in and fight everybody, or you can go in and do these things. And I think they spend a, too much time, as this book tends to do, too much time describing the options for both scenarios instead of just laying out the situation and letting the characters either fight or talk their way through it. I think it would have been better if you just set up the situation and let them talk through instead of having these, the two approaches that they talk about here, they talk about throughout the whole thing. In my case, the characters killed one of the two faction leaders before they even met the other faction leader, so it totally didn't go the direction that they didn't work one side against the other, which is perfectly fine. It didn't matter that they killed the faction leader. In fact, it wasn't them who killed him. They convinced one of the faction leader's lieutenants to kill the faction leader because they, they proved to that guy that the dude was a heretic. And so that as a heretic, this anti-paladin stabbed him through and killed him. And it worked great. Right? That, was, that was a fine solution, which meant the minute they met the next uh, faction leader, who was, I referred to her as the Acid Queen, she was like, hey, you're my best friend. You just wiped out my competition and I'm very happy with you. And now I'd like you to wipe out my other competition who's Immorta the Debased, who we all, none of us liked. We, you know, neither of us liked Immorta the Debased. Unfortunately, as long as she is protected by the, the third icosahedron, she cannot be killed. But I've got secret potions that you can drink that will send you to an alternate parallel world in which she doesn't, she isn't protected by the icosahedron and can be slain. So the characters came in this way. They went into, I I think they stepped into 413, area 413, which is a realm that's sort of bleeding between these two worlds. At this point, they had... I started off the scenario with them fighting a demon in the middle of this place. They ended up not fighting. They ended up like leaving the world. They had inhaled some of the bad mushroom stuff and said, we want to leave the world. And one of the characters, Bart, lost his body. He, what happened? I, I, he, it was his choice. And he, something really bad happened to him. And he rolled and I said, what happened? And he said, my soul crystal falls out. And I was like, his body goes limp, his soul crystal, because he's a, he's a construct, right? He's a gear forge. His soul crystal came out. Well, all the other characters kind of grabbed it and then sneezed really hard. And that got them out of the parallel dimension where they're fighting this demon thing. But then Bart's body is back in the other world. Well, they'll have an opportunity to get it back. So they put his body in, they put his soul stone in a Darrow, dead Darrow body for a while. And he walked around as a dead Darrow. And he's like, I don't like this. So then they went back up a level, two levels. And found out that the the woman, the evil woman who has now turned into a giant ooze creature is now ruling over most of level two as a giant ooze creature. But they managed to grab one of the clockwork bodies and dump it down and it kind of landed on the ground. And they they got the clockwork body and then put Bart's soul stone in that so that Bart is now in a new clockwork body but doesn't have any of the memories of his previous clockwork body. So he's like, oh, I'm meeting all of you for the first time again. So it's it's very much like C-3PO getting built in whatever the last Star Wars movie was, where he's like, oh, you're my, you're my oldest friend, right? It's because he only met him like an hour earlier. So poor C-3PO gets his mind wiped all the time. 
So now his other body is still back there. So they, and they're going to have this opportunity to kind of drop back and, and maybe go try to steal his body back again. So that, that was kind of an interesting turn of events. So they met, I forget what her name is. I always forget their names, but they met the acid queen. They had big conversations with her. Turns out they're all gardeners. Like, like two of the characters are both gardener types. So they spoke to her about gardening and things like that. And there was a lot of interest there. And then she said, like, I have these potions. And if you're willing, I don't know that she offered them anything, but she was like, I can help you kill you. If you want to save this place, you're going to have to kill Immortal the Debase. And if you want to do that, you're going to have to go to the other realm because you're not going to be able to fight her here. But she knows this and she's got demon devils that are protecting her in the other realm. So you're going to deal with that. So they know about that situation. And I think they were right at the, where the, where the session began was right at the beginning of this is where they were going to deal with Immortal the Debased. So we are going to generate a new, well, I don't need this. We can delete that. Generate a new session planning template. I'm trying a new thing, which is you can put the date automatically in there and it will automatically keep track of the date. I put that into my template. We'll see if that works. So looking at our characters today, why does it say Friday? See, that doesn't work. Today is 21. I don't know why that didn't work. It was weird. So here's our Scarlet Citadel notes. As always, I'm using Notion to keep track of our, to keep track of my campaign notes. You can learn more about using Notion for campaign planning in the show notes for this show. So we have, I think we have a couple people that are out. I know that Malarkey is out today, but I think we have everybody else. So we have Bart, the Gearforged Bard diplomat, who I think has lost all of his memories currently and is sort of re reintroducing himself to the characters, kind of feels why he's doing what he's doing. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he does and see if they, do they go get his old body? And if they do get his body back, do they put him in it? Which one do they use? Cause then he'll have, he has like disparate sets of memories that are in each of the bodies. It could be really kind of fun and interesting. Doran Greycastle is a shade fighter, sorcerer, former adventurer, and he's dead. So he's a shade. His soul is in, is, is inside the body of a guy named Potter and Mez, Rumseleth, is trying to bring Potter's body, lay Potter's body to rest, but can't do so as long as there's this shade of Dorn Greycastle that's inside. So that is kind of a fun angle there. And Dorn has seen the Black River, but I think everyone realizes like the Black River is corrupted currently because of the twisting of the ley lines due to the fact that these isocosahedrons are being used for twisted purposes. We have Garble, a mushroom folk rogue far traveler. Garble is trying to find a new home for his mushroom folk. He would be particularly interested in these crazy acid mushrooms that are around here. Malarkey is not here. And Skrink Skibbers is a rat folk wizard occultist sacrificed on an altar in Zobek, has been brought back to life by the Weird Weaver, the entity that sort of sits in these icosahedrons, the, the, an entity of not chaos, but the, the natural randomness of the world. And what's it called? The law of large numbers. No. But one, you know, one, of, the, one of the many tenets of the Weird Weaver is the law of large numbers but believes in the, in, the, in the natural randomness of the world. And that randomness has been twisted up because the icosahedrons are being used by these villains inside Scarlet Citadel to support their own evil purposes, usually to draw tremendous amounts of energy so that they can do really big, powerful bits of magic that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do, like creating new and interesting slimes or traveling through time or summoning super powerful entities from other worlds or whatever the hell Gellert the Gruesome is doing. I don't even know what he's doing down there. That's a good question. I should find out what he's doing down there. So that is where things stand now. Our strong start is there that, uh, what's her name? What's the review? Oh, I have, look at this. I already have Kurgaram gives the characters six potions of the other side. 
And the drinking these potions will actually push them into the other world. It lasts for one hour. So they don't have a lot of time in that other world. And is there an interest? So what could happen? What's an interesting... Whenever I think about a strong start, it's not about necessarily saying something like it needs to start with a battle, although starting with a battle is always a good strong start. It's, it's not always a good strong start, but it's, a, it's definitely... Starting with a fight is a, an easy way to go if it makes sense, especially if you ended right at the beginning of a fight. That works really well. But really the question that we ask with our strong start is something happens. We describe something happens. So what happens? Does it, is there another sort of earthquake due to the twisting of the ley lines? That's not always a bad one. Something terrible opens up in level six. So I think this could be that Gellert has finally created this super powerful hole in the world. That could be kind of fun. I, I, I'll have to, yeah, I think that that works. My, my thought, so here's an interesting thought. And I guess we have to kind of, let's take a minute and let's go down to chapter six, the Howling Halls. Lowest level, the Scarlet Citadel, Seat of Mystery, attracted the creatures that gathered here. Magical energy intersecting ley lines, congregate shadow roads is the strongest here where the characters will encounter the strangest mar- magical artifacts. Elemental maelstroms are the norm. There's lots of wind. There are doors. Elemental influence. There's things going on here. There are surges. So the question is, what is Gellert doing down here? And I think the idea that, like, whatever he was doing down here, which is really in 614, chamber 614... I think that it's possible that maybe he fired that up. But what, just what if, here's a, here's a what if scenario. And I can always make things up. What if this just happened? Like, what if it happens now? What if this is our, he, him opening up this, this portal, the, creating this void of annihilation. What if that, what if that just happened? And what if he didn't want it to? And now what if he's like, you know, he's like, oh man, boy, did I screw up. Like I did something. It was really bad. Like he'd been working on this for all this time. Then he did it. And then he's like on the way out. So what if they run into him and he's like, you know, oh, hey, how's it going? And like, aren't you like the dude we've been hunting for? It's like, no, I don't know who you mean. And then like, you know, they could get out of him that he had opened up this big portal down below and that it's really bad. And he's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to leave town, right? I'm going to get out of here. Wouldn't that be kind of fun if like, instead of having a big fight against Gellert the Gruesome, Gellert the Gruesome opened up this hole in the world and realizes like he started the next thing and he goes, wow, I probably shouldn't have screwed with this, huh? Like (laughs) that would be kind of fun because I think you're supposed to like run into him earlier, but exactly like, I guess let's, let's, let's do some searching here. Lowest level dungeon, they made a massive sphere of annihilation, somehow bound in place by an unknown entity in a forgotten age. I think in this case, he might have opened it. Pulls terrific wind. The sphere's connection to the void makes it of great interest to Gellert the Gruesome. He'd like to find a way to control it, but that goal has eluded him for four decades. Meanwhile, the howling halls surrounding the sphere are flooded with elemental energy. So, yeah. The question is, what is his motivation? I think he's, is he all the way down to the, whoops. Only living sign of the Holzinger family, Gellert is, has authority over the land around Scarlet Citadel and responsibility towards inhabitants, ignores all of that, and always has a favor of pursuing knowledge and power at what he considers the most consequential magic site in all of Midgard. Consequently, his own ancestral basement, the deep dungeon beneath the Citadel. He isn't insane or obsessed, but he's deeply antisocial and misanthropic. He has no interest or use for other people. He meets Immorta occasionally, blah, 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 blah. Less interest in other people. His ap- appellation was applied to locals as something of a joke. No one ever saw him. Stories sprang up that he was horribly disfigured, but he's actually fine. Not really much about what he wants. So I guess we are going to say what he wants. So I think like, you know, it's one of these things where like 
he wanted power, right? He wanted, he wanted power. I think all of this stuff is true, but I think like he just realized, I don't think this is going to necessarily come out this session or not. So I don't know if it's a secret. Maybe it's a secret, right? Gellert accidentally tore open a rift to an empty universe that will slowly suck Midgard into the void if left unchecked. So that's a good one. Gellert seeks power above all else. He believed the, the, the draw of the ley lines gave him total control over void magic. I think that that works. So I think, that, I think that's a good strong start. So the scenes are Kirkgram's potions, the tearing of the void, then facing Immorta, right? Then descent to level five. The hunt for the anchors of the third icosahedron. I think I have anchors as hot. Anchors of the third icosahedron. Look at that. Thanks, past Mike Shea. Past Mike Shea created a, a link for that. So that's pretty good. That that gives me a good angle on where we're headed for the for the next for the next part of this game. So I think Immorta has oops has torn herself across this world and the other side using Kurgram's potions. Immorta is immortal. Immorta's physical body, mortal body, is protected by the mother of all shield spells using the the power of the third icosahedron. This power does not protect her on the other side. Cool. Immorta's diabolic body resides on the other side and is protected by her devilish bodyguards. Cool. So one thing that's important is the characters. So in, in my version of this game, Immorta and Zul are sisters. In fact, I think Immorta has a different name, right? Immorta was known as Clara. This is a secret that's probably important. Immorta was once Zula's Clara. Both of the sisters were outcast from their village and threatened. How come I can't spell village right? From their village and threatened with death for, the, for practicing their ways. Zula never lost her faith in humanity. But Immorta did. With devils, she knew what she was dealing with. So Zula has a doll that she shared with Immorta that can touch Immorta's mortal, kind of mortal self and consciousness. This is kind of dark, but I think Immorta went back and destroyed their home village, sending her devil, showing the village what she had become and what she was capable of doing. They thought she was in league with devils and by pushing her out, that's exactly what she became. That's when she took on name of Immorta, the debased. But I think she can be touched by the doll. I think if they show it to her and with the right check, they're still gonna have to defeat her. And when they defeat her, they can show her the doll. And if they, if they manage to convince her, she can kind of turn and say, well, God, what have, I, what, have I, what have I done? What have I become? My sister was right. She never lost her faith in humanity, and I did. That's pretty cool. So what's that? Seven? That's seven secrets. What other secrets could the characters learn? 
Is there anything else about the other side that we want to know? Probably not. I think, I think, well, the other side, Immorta has used doors that only, doors and stairs that only exist in the other side. Entire realms of the Scarlet Citadel only exist in the other side. I think I already have something about Gel Gellert is a practitioner of void magic. He loves, he loves him some void magic. Immorta has summoned, I think she's summoned two creatures, right? Two of the, what are they called? Anchors. Uh, but one of them existed before, well before uh, Immorta or Gellert had arrived. That being, and that anchor is, which one? Uh, Lagfell. The Hierophant Lich of Vardazan. So now let's learn a little bit more about Lagfell. Is on level five, the Black River. So this is where I think it could be fun. Like if they came down and come to the 503 where Gellert has his little area that he comes in, he could be like packing up his stuff and getting ready to go. Because like, yeah, something bad happened down there. Maybe. I think that might be fun. I think that could be a fun way to shake up the traditional thought about the boss monster is like his goal was like draw the energy of this place and the goal, this could be a fun secret that Gellert never could have, and this is kind of like a, a dick a dick secret, Gellert, Gellert never could have used his void magic to open the rift except that the power of, what's it called? So many names in my head. The God thing, the God of randomness, placeholder for that. Except for the power of the God of Randomness surging as two of the four icosahedrons were sealed. Void madness. That's cool. What is, who is Zymarshka? Let's take a look at the appendix as it recommends. Oh, it's a Spider of Ling. I used the Spider of Ling stat block before, but I never used its spells. So I think having this could be kind of an interesting, an interesting thing. It's not one of the anchors. There's a lot of stuff going on in the Black River. It's a great big area. The Weird Weaver, that's right. Thank you. Put that in my notes. Worms. Man, so many things in this in this level. So there's Lagfell. Final corrupt leader of the cult of Charon in these caves, twisted the cult worshiping the darkest aspects of Vardazane, and in death she became a hierophant lich. This is her tomb. She does not abide intruders. So I think that her twisted nature. So in this case, they would fight two of the three anchors right away. Because the chain thing, look at look at look how big this room description is, right? It's a, a third of a page, one whole page, two whole pages, and another third of page. It's basically three pages long for one room description. That's a long, that's a long room. The other interesting thing about this whole place is that it's got like all of these different maps that you can move in different areas, but it's like an online play. You can't really do that. So I'm, I don't know if I'm going to split up Lagfell and the chain thing. I didn't realize that they were like connected so closely together. And then here's Shogoth and they got to defeat Shogoth too. And then that's pretty much it. Shogoth is in the dark pool, worshipped by the deep ones. That's in area 524. Let's take a look what that looks like. So that's in this area. Okay. So that's the altar of the deep ones. So they have to, they have to kind of get to this, this chamber here. That could be kind of cool. What's 523? The observatory. Oh, that's like a guard post. So I think we'll say that, let's see, Amorta, did she summon the chain thing? I said, I think I was going to say that she summoned the chain thing, but actually it was, did she summon the two of them? I think maybe she didn't, right? Maybe they were already there. Amorta didn't summon. So let's change this. The anchors. She knew how to channel their energy 
into the third, the deep ones, the anchors have existed here far longer. The other three anchors have existed down in this area for hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years. Good enough. All right. I think we're good. We're good with that. We don't need to do fantastic locations because we have the stuff in the book. And NPCs, this is kind of fun. So I've now automatically added NPCs to the list. I have a little, t it pulls directly from the NPC table and shows them, which means I don't have much to do here. And I think these are all the same ones. I don't think, I think we should put the anchors are current. And we can add, I think Lagfell is already current. The chain thing is current. And Shogoth is current. So they're all they're all current. And then Immort is current. So kind of duplicating things because I've got you know the anchors and then the, the other three. But those are all there. We can do a review of the NPCs and see is there anybody else in here. But I think this is pretty good. I mean, Gellert himself, this one we ignored. Gilsphere's dead. So Dineska, they know. I'm going to make her current because she's operating in level two if they ever go back to level two. And we have Gellert. Gellert is current. Gerdart Holzanger the first, Wrath, Wraith Sorcerer of the Drylands. I don't know if they're going to face him again. Zula, she might be current. A lot of NPCs in the current list, but yeah, it's handy to keep them, keep them around. Doesn't hurt. So monsters it probably is worth spending a little bit of time. I don't think like some of these monsters I no longer have to keep on the holding pattern because they're not going to face them. I'm keeping all my Forge of Foes generic stat blocks here because those are handy, but I don't think they're going to face many more Darrow. So I'm going to, I'm going to pull the Darrow off because I don't, I, I don't, I don't know why they would start fighting Darrow. They're all, they're all good friends. So all these Darrow stat blocks don't need to be in the holding pattern anymore. I can always pull them up. The holding pattern is a special tag that I have connected to my copy of the <clears throat> 5e artisanal database. So I have the stats for Immorta. And it looks like for Immorta, I was going to use the Sentinel Forge of Foes stat block. Is that better than what she is? Let me let me see if they have a, anything for Immorta. Or is she like a mage? She's CR4. That is not going to work. Yeah. CR4 and she's an 11th level spellcaster? That seems weird. So yeah, we're going to use our own stat block for that. Oops. So for Immorta, we are using the Sentinel stat block, which is a CR11 stat block. That's going to hit pretty hard. And it, they do four attacks, plus nine to hit, 18 damage per attack. That's, she is, she is powerful. What are some fun things instead of these big diabolic blasts? And I think for fun, we'll do nine fire and nine necrotic per hit, right? And she can throw those around. Is there any other, what other kind of fun ability might she have? Do we need to give her much more? It's a lot. So we could do three. How about a devilish twist? A diabolic twist. DC is what? 17 con, con. And we'll do 18 force damage. And the creature is what? At disadvantage on attacks and attacks against have advantage. As their body is twisted into devilish shapes. Instead of 18, we could do, let's see, we'll do two targets. And we'll do 27 damage, 27 force damage. Or as I like to do, nah, 27 force damage. 1d6 plus 24. 1d6 plus 24 force damage. So that works. Her saves are int plus 9 and wisdom plus 7. 
and charisma plus nine, right? We'll give her plus seven. So we just change up her saving throws a little bit. The rest of it looks solid. So that's pretty good. Now, what what will she be facing? So let's go to the monster database here, and we'll look at some devils. Uh, we have barbed devils, scribe devils, crystalline devils, bow devils, salt devils. I think I think we're just gonna you know I'm gonna I, I tell you one thing I've learned is that those Forge of Foe stat blocks are so handy. So we're going to use the specialist. And we're going to say devil bodyguard. Whoa, that's not right. That replicated the wrong one. What did I just do? Page history. Restore. There we go. Yes. I, I did the wrong one. So we're going to go to this specialist here. And we're going to say, and I think we're just going to use them straight as is. Yeah, those are great. They hit pretty hard. Cool. And this is just for Scarlet Citadel. And how many of those bodyguards? So what's the deadly benchmark? So they are seventh level. There are five of them. So five times seven is 35. Half of 35 is 17. So the deadly encounter benchmark is 17. Immorta herself is 11. So she can have about two of those bodyguards. That sounds about right. That's probably pretty tough. That's five characters, three monsters. I don't want to do brutes. That's probably going to be pretty good because she's going to hit really hard. The question is, are they going to be able to knock out do they have the capabilities of like paralyzing one of them? I might do a third. I think we're going to go a bit above board and do three of the, uh, I think we're going to do three of the bodyguards. So three bodyguards in Immorta. And then I'll probably dial down their damage a little bit if they aren't able to get rid of one of the bodyguards. And Immorta is going to have legendary resistances, but no legendary actions because they're a pain in the ass. So yeah, I think that'll be good. Treasure. They've gotten a lot of treasure. Let's go to the random treasure generator. I just added some fun stuff. I added, so the treasure generator, the, the lazy DM generator, which probably should be renamed the lazy GM generator, is a Patreon reward. Patrons have access to this. It is built in per chance and it can generate all kinds of stuff. I tune it all the time and I just tuned it recently. I use it for my own games, which is why I work on it. And it has Vault of Magic items. Blood fuel weapons. First time you attack with a weapon, each your turns, you can spend one or more hit dice of your maximum hit dice for each hit dice. Spend this way you roll. The die and add your constitution modifier. You lose hit points equal to the total, and the target takes extra. This is awesome. You can't use this feature of the weapon if you don't have blood. Hit dice spent using this weapon, you can't be used. Again. I like this a lot. We're going to put that in there. I think she might be using a blood fueled weapon. Wand of Guidance is common, boring. Charlatan's Veneer, Silken Scarf is more powerful version of the commoner's veneer. You can use a bonus action to call on the power of the scarf to evoke a sense of trust in those whom you speak. If you do so, you have advantage on the next charisma persuasion check. That's kind of cool. I bet that Gellert probably wears that. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put that in the treasure and I'll put it for Gellert. I'll just try to remember that. Blood Pearl, Slick to the Touch, contains a blood imbued with malign purpose. Destroying and conjure a blood elemental for one hour. The elemental is friendly to you and your companions for the duration. I kind of like that. I don't normally like companion characters. I hate that kind of thing. But it could be fun. I don't know. I mean, it's only an hour. Wand of Bristles. Wand of Vapors is broken. I need to fix that. That's pretty funny. The Goggles of Shade. You look cool. Let's get some other ones. Nameless Cults. Ooh, I like this. I should use that in my other game. This could be a fun one. The Time Worm Timepiece. Use the action to spend one charge after a creature you can see within 30 of you makes an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw to force a creature to reload. This is the Silvery Barbs. 
You can make the decision after you see whether the roll succeeds or fails. Target must use the result of the second roll. Alternatively, you can spend two charges as a reaction at the start of another creature's turn to swap places in the initiative order with the creature. It's kind of fun, but it is like silvery barbs. I don't know. I, you know, it's different because it's a rare magic item instead of a first level spell. I'm going to say it can only do one. Have one charge. No, two charges. It regains one expended charge daily at midnight. Freaking silvery barbs, man. And then let's do some regular treasure. Bang. That looks good. Big pile of treasure. Lots of treasure. Good good deal. So I think that feels pretty good to me. I think we're all set. I feel good. So I want to thank everybody today for helping me, for hanging out with me while I prepare for my for my game. If you enjoyed this show and you want more material like it, please consider subscribing to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Doing so is absolutely free. You get a free Adventure Generator PDF and you get a weekly RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to the random generator you just saw. They get access to all kinds of early features, early video previews, and early previews of things that I'm working on. City of Arches Sourcebook, Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2, Dedicated Discord Server, the monthly Q&A, and a whole lot more. It's a really good deal to, to, to become a patron of Sly Flourish. You get a lot of stuff. And you can pick up my books, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, The Lazy DM's Companion, and The Lazy DM's Workbook, all on the Sly Flourish bookstore. Links for all of that are in the show notes. Thank you all so much. Have a great day, and get out there and play a role-playing game.